0: Alright, good, good morning. It's good to be here. I heard that y'all heard that I had had a concussion, but you didn't know how, uh, how I had done it, so you're all kind of guessing. I want to know who guessed that I dropped a block of ice on my head. So. <laughs> Somebody said they, Greg, you said you guessed ice, right? That slipped and fell on ice. That's pretty <laughs> close enough. That's pretty close. Uh, if I had died, I said that was the dumbest way to die possible is to drop a block of ice on your head trying to recycle a box. But uh, but that's what I did nonetheless. Uh, I'm glad to be here. We're glad to be back uh, today. It's always encouraging to be here. Uh, Austin's down at Spark in Valdosta. Uh, he's been sending me pictures and texting me and it looks like he's having a, a good time down there and things are going well. It's being well attended. Uh, I'm so glad he's been sending me pictures of what you all are doing as well. He knows my heart is here with you and I'm so encouraged. I know y'all are are doing uh, Rob's Evangelism Seminar digitally, uh, watching the the videos. And I know too that Austin is a great soul winner. He is always studying with somebody. If uh, you will help him in in doing that, if you will be silent partners with him when he's doing Bible studies, if you will help bring people to him, uh, and if you will also learn how to do the studies, then this congregation is going to just grow uh, internally. You will grow spiritually, but it will also grow externally in the, in the sense that you will be converting people to Christ. And I think this congregation has so much to offer, this this community. Uh, and I'm encouraged by Austin. And Austin is a, a great soul winner. He is a great uh, young man, and he's been working. We, we have a new office. He's been helping me. His dad's been helping me. They are just great uh, great great people uh, no one has to do everything but everyone has to do something. Uh, everyone has to help uh, bring people to Christ Everyone who's in Christ wants to bring others to Christ and that's what I want to talk to you about today in the sense of I want to, I want to talk about letting your light shine uh, a light and being a light in a, a dark world. We live in a, a dark world a difficult, world. Sometimes a place that's easy to, to become afraid, it's easy to get discouraged. And I want to encourage you today, and I want to kind of make a comparison to America. You know, America is thought of as this great beacon of light or beacon of hope to the world. If you've ever talked to an immigrant, if you've ever traveled abroad, you'll find that there's a lot of love and a lot of desire to be in America, to come to America. America is a, a great place. Now look, we've got problems in America, right? But the whole world has problems. But we have all sorts of problems in, in America. We have people who are, are on drugs, who are struggling with addiction. We have people who commit horrible acts of violence. We have people living sexually immoral lives and trying to to make that the new standard, calling the things that we practice and that we profess through the Bible to be old-fashioned, right? That's what they they say. And I know that we have some some just degenerate leaders, people who are not good people in positions of authority. That's in capital buildings, in, in legislatures, and in the halls of justice throughout this great land that God has given us. That's going to be the case. It's going to be the case that there are some immoral people who are sometimes in charge. And I know that we've passed some laws that that spit in the face of of God and there are some judicial decisions even that that seek to redefine institutions that God himself defined and put in in place and established but America is founded on the principles of freedom and for that reason and that hope people look to us billions of people all over the world look to America as a beacon of light set on a hill. There we go. It's like that too for the true Christian. If you are a true Christian, everybody that you meet, everybody that you come in contact with every day needs what you have. And it doesn't cost us anything to, to teach it to them, to give it to them, for them to have it. It just increases what we have in fellowship and love one with another. It's the same thing as like America is to the world, so is the true Christian to the world. We can show people how to become a Christian. We can show them because of the debt that we owe to Christ who paid our debt, we can show them this greatness, this great grace and gift that God has given us of salvation. And Today, that's what I want to talk about just a little bit. I want to talk about how do we do that? How do we let our light shine in a dark world? And this sermon came about, it's it's a little bit hodgepodge, I'm going to be honest here, because I've been reading some things from some old friends of mine who have drifted, and they're making posts on, on Facebook. I'm not getting in arguments with them on Facebook. I'm just reading them, and I've been a little bit discouraged. I've been seeing that they were members of the church, and they have... They have drifted, and they think they're still letting their light shine, although they have drifted away from the truth. So today I want to talk about letting your light shine, and one way that we do that, one way that we let our light shine, is that we have to be a true worshiper of God and of Jesus. When Jesus was asked by the woman at the well, about worship. She was saying, where do I need to worship? Should I worship here, like the Samaritans say, or like you Jews say, do we have to go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple? She was asking about the different traditions that have had grown up around worship in John 4, 23-24. What does Jesus answer? He said, but the hour is coming, and is Now, here, when, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We like to quote that last part of the verse, but think about that. What he's saying there is, it's not these traditions that the Jews have grown up, that the Samaritans have grown up. We're going to worship God everywhere. We've got to be true worshipers if we want to be a real light to the world. Well, how can we know if we're a true worshiper? And I was thinking about that. 1 John 4, 1 through 6 tells us that we can know that we're supposed to test the spirits to see if they are from God. So it must be possible for us to know because we're going to test those things that are, are confronting us in the world. And we know what the truth is. We know what to test the spirits against. Jesus said in John 17:17, 17, 17, thy word is truth. And we know that we're going to be judged by that word, John 12:48. We're going to be judged by the words that are found in the Bibles. So that's what we can look to and take from and test things against to know if we're being a true worshiper, but we live in a dark age when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. They want to have their ears tickled. They accumulate for themselves teachers that spout false doctrine. And it makes them feel better about the paths that they've gone down because they've gathered other people who seem to know what they're talking about. You know, they're they're tickling my ears. They're they're doing this for popularity. That's Second Timothy four and verse three. And we see that in practice everywhere that we turn. People are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Any new thing they think that's new that comes up, they're they're tossed to and fro by it. They're taken away with it, just as if they're a ship by sail on the ocean, drifting. Out by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's Ephesians 4.14. But Ephesians 4.15, the very next verse says, We speak the truth in love. We want others to be saved. We want others to have what we have. So, To be a true worshiper, we have got to obey. Now, think about that. Let's look back at the example in the Old Testament of King Saul. God selected Saul to be a king. The people cried out for a king. You'll remember that Samuel was distraught about this. He said, the people have rejected me. What did God say? They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. But I, they want a king? I'm going to give them a king. And they gave them. he gave them King Saul. And at first Saul did good in the eyes of the Lord, but eventually he did some evil in the sight of the Lord. And one of those times was in 1 Samuel 15. And you can turn there and you can look at these verses I'm going to refer to. But in 1 Samuel 15, God told Saul through Samuel to destroy the Amalekites. All the men, women, children, animals. I want you to destroy them. They have done evil in my sight. I want you to destroy all of them. That's the, the message that God gave to Saul. But And Saul gathered together a huge group of people to do this. More than 100,000 people to attack the Amalekites. But he leaves the king, Agag. He leaves him alive. And he took plunder, animals from them when he conquered them instead of doing what God had told him to do. He keeps the king alive and he keeps the best of the animals alive. In verse 8, God tells Samuel that Saul has done this evil and Samuel's upset. He stays up all night being upset that this happened. He does not want Saul to fail as a leader. He does, he wants him to do what God told him to do and, and lead God's people correctly. So Samuel confronts Saul. He goes to him. And Saul jumps at the chance and tells him, I've done everything that God told me to do. I have performed the commandment of the Lord, is what he says. Do you think he believed he had done what God told him to do? I do. I think he believed he did what God told him to do, even though he didn't. He's excited to report to Samuel that he had done it. And in verse 14, Samuel gives him this great question. This this is a great quote. It says, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the cattle which I hear? What's all this noise from the animals that you've left alive if you did everything that God told you to do? Why are these animals here? And Saul starts right in with his excuse, much like people do today. He says, well, I did what God said, but I held some back so that we could give the best to sacrifice to God. That's what he says. Hmm. In verse 19, Samuel tells Saul, look, God told me. God came to me, and he told me what you had done. And he confronts him again, and he confronts him directly. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? But instead, fly upon the spoils. And evil you have done in the sight of the Lord. Well, now Saul starts in on the excuses. He he says in verse 20, I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission that the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag as their king. And the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice him to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And then he says something that's so plain and so true, it echoes through the ages to us. And it applies to this situation of being a true worshiper of God. It says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. That's true today, as it was then. Saul continues to give excuses. But Samuel says, Look, rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance is the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as a king. Saul's disobedience was this act of rebellion and iniquity and idolatry. He claims to have these good motivations as people do today as they start to take the church into directions it should not go. To try to become popular. To try to improve upon the message of the Bible. To try to improve on the gospel. God is no... Fool, he will not be mocked. God laid out how he wants to be worshipped. The second answer that Saul gives, he starts to give his confession. He says, I have sinned. I violated the command and your instructions because I was afraid of the men and I gave in to them. It reminds me of of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Why have you sinned, Adam? It's the woman that you gave me. It's, it's really your fault, God. But it's also the woman's fault. It's not my fault that I sinned. And he asks Eve, what does she say? It's the serpent. It's, it's not me. The serpent deceived me. Right? Saul's doing the same thing. He's saying, look, the people wanted to do this, and I was weak, and I caved in. It's really the people's fault. Well, you're the leader of the people. And Saul admits that this sacrifice was not a sacrifice to God. It was a transgression and against God's command. It was the result of seeking approval of people. Putting it all together, we see several reasons why obedience to God is better than making sacrifices or offerings to Him. Disobedience is an act of rebellion. It doesn't matter how many people you attract to yourself. If you're not attracting them to the right thing. Disobedience is sinful. Disobedience is a form of idolatry. Disobedience disrespects God's word. And disobedience is based on looking good to other people rather than to God. And still today, in our human attempts to look good in serving God, there is a temptation to perform certain religious duties, rather than truly obey God and and give Him our hearts, like we talked about in Bible class today, just going through the motions so that other people think that you're a good person, other people think you're a Christian, but you're not truly letting your light shine. Even good activities such as giving money to charity or attending church services or praying in public are not as important to God as obeying His commands. In worship, Jesus criticized teachers and the Pharisees in his time for similar practices in Matthew chapter six. You know, it's those three different things that they were doing to look good to people—it was fasting and public prayer and giving to those in need. Now, were those good things? Yes, those are still good things. They were supposed to be doing them, but why were they doing them? They were doing them to look good to other people. They were sounding a trumpet before they were giving the money. They were making sure that people knew how good they were. And that means that God did not have their heart. We're supposed to be giving the glory to God. We do these things because in obedience to God, we are letting our light shine to bring glory to Jesus and to God. So the problem is not the offerings, but the disobedience of God's command and the desire for the approval of people rather than God. And the second point I want to make today about letting our light shine is if we become true worshipers of God, if we're truly following Him and we're servants of Christ, we will want to teach that to others. It won't be possible to stop us from teaching it to others, because we are so blessed by what God has given us, and we understand the salvation that He's provided for for us, we will want others to have that. You know, Jeremiah talks about it in Jeremiah twenty and verse nine. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. That's how the gospel is supposed to be like to us. It's like a fire in our bones. We have to do it. We have to teach others. We have to get them to understand the things that we understand. And I was thinking about examples of this. And I thought about Peter. Do you think Peter was a true believer, the Apostle Peter? Oh, I do. I think he was a a true believer. In John... 668, in that whole section right there, Jesus has given some hard teachings, and they're hard teachings so much so that some people decide to leave and depart from Him. And He turns to His disciples and He says, will you leave too? And Peter answers, sometimes Peter gets things wrong, but here Peter gets it right. He says, Lord, where would we go? Right? No one but you has the words of eternal life. In Matthew 16 and verse 16, Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? And he asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Again, Peter got it right, right there. And it's Peter that in the garden takes out his sword when they're coming to arrest Jesus And he goes to battle. He strikes out at Malchus. And I don't think he was looking to cut his ear off, but that's what he he meant. He must have ducked, right? I should learn a lesson from that if I lift any more ice over my head. Uh, Learn a lesson from Malchus. But that's what uh, Peter did, right? He took out his sword and he tries to strike Malchus. He goes to war for Jesus. Jesus stops him, heals Malchus. That's John 18 and verse 10 and following. But then, you think about Peter in Luke 22, and towards the end and 54 and following. Things are not going the way Peter thought they would go. Now he's afraid. Jesus is under arrest, he's on trial, he's getting beaten, and obviously it's heading towards... His execution. Things are not going the way Peter thought they would go. It's not how it's supposed to play out. And now Peter's scared. And he lets doubt creep in. And he denies Christ three times to the the woman, to the people in the, the courtyard. Sometimes it's easy to be afraid. Sometimes it's easy to deny Christ by just not saying anything or not doing anything. But that hurts us when we do that it hurt peter after jesus looked at him he goes out and he weeps bitterly for having denied christ and then just a few days later really acts chapter 4 we find peter and john have been arrested they're before the sanhedrin for preaching christ and Jews don't know what to do with them. You know, we killed Jesus, and that didn't work. It hasn't put down this, this rebellion against us. And now they're preaching Christ, and they're healing people, and people are starting to talk, and we've got to stop it. What are we going to do? They don't know what to do with them. They finally tell them in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 20, or Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 18, that they call them together and command them not to speak at all, nor teach, in the name of Jesus. Just stop teaching Jesus. And in verse 19 and 20, what do they reply? Peter says, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you can judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They had a fire in their bones. They had to teach Jesus. It didn't matter what was going to happen to them. What happened to that Peter that was so afraid of the woman in the... in the courtyard and the men in the courtyard now he's before the sanhedrin he's before the high priest and he's we're going to teach he's commanded not to teach jesus i'm going to teach him anyway you can judge whether that's right or not but i can't help but teach jesus what had changed well the resurrection changed and he had christ christ told him i will be with you always even to the end of the age People are not always going to accept the message, but that doesn't relieve us of the responsibility of teaching it. In John three nineteen through 21, it says, In this judgment the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been called, carried out in God. It's a wonderful thing that we are able to turn to Jesus. It's just such a a wonderful thing. Let me put it this way. I I read a speech recently uh, that Ronald Reagan used to to give. I I don't care if you like Ronald Reagan or not. That's not the point of, of this, the point is the speech. In the speech, he relates this story. He says, not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of this story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. Talking back about that idea of America being this beacon of of freedom and hope to the world. If you corrupt America, there's no place to, to turn to. You see where I'm going here with this? That for those outside of Christ... They have Jesus to turn to. And we would encourage you this morning, if that's the case for you, if you are outside Christ, we'd encourage you to turn to Christ. We'd be happy to study with you, talk to you. If you already know what you need to do, but you're hesitating for some reason, we would encourage you to stop hesitating. But if you were in Christ, and you turned away, what did you turn to? Satan. Satan. That's the only other thing to turn to. And if you've turned to Satan, he doesn't care about you at all. He will use you up and spit you out and leave you for dead. He doesn't care in the least about you. But Jesus does, and you can turn back to him. And the same is true as it is for America, as it is for the church if we corrupt the church, if we stop being true worshipers, if we cave in to popularity instead of the teaching of the Bible, what do we have to turn to? So let me encourage you to stay the course. And if you have fallen away for any reason, we would encourage you to make it right this morning. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.